there's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. Hello and welcome to the Your Politics podcast from RTE News. Well, concrete, housing and Shane Ross were some of the topics ventilated in Leinster House this week, although dull business has been very much overshadowed by the tragic events in Creesla. To discuss the politics of the week, I'm joined by our political correspondents, Paul Cunningham and Nukt Orti TG Kahar Koragri Politikta Sirkani Rida, and later by political coverage editor David Murphy. So I'm going to start with the, the pressure on all types of housing uh, that we've seen. But the political week really began with a government U-turn on moving 135 Ukrainian refugees from Klarny. On Monday, the Integration Minister, Roderick O'Gorman, was adamant that they had to go to Westport to make way for asylum seekers. A few hours later, the plan was abandoned. So, Paul, it seems that there was pressure from within the cabinet to abandon this plan. Yeah, I think the pressure stemmed from the fact that this group of Ukrainian refugees had been in Killarney since March. They had a community which was rallying around them. and The children were going to the local school. And the Ukrainians have got jobs and suddenly they were being given 48 hours notice and told, you're gone. And there was basically a revolt in Killarney. And um, that came up in many forms. I was talking to the Fine Gael, um, Kerry TD and uh, government deputy whip, um, Brendan Griffin, and he said he never saw the likes of it. He said just his phone calls, the emails, they were under real pressure, people wanted this stopped. And so he stood up in the doyle and called on uh, Minister O'Gorman to inject some humanity into this process, given the circumstances I've just outlined. And you have to remember, that's a Fine Gael, um, TD calling on a Green Party minister and they're all in the same government. And then behind the scenes, we hear that another TD also happens to be a minister and the education minister, Norma Foley, was also uh, making an appeal to Roger Gorman to reverse it. As you mentioned in your introduction there, Minister Gorman saying there was a principle involved, which was that it had to be up to his department to move people around, given the huge numbers are coming, more than 54,000 Ukrainians plus international uh, people seeking or people from uh, seeking international asylum as well. And, and that principle had to be stuck to. But the pressure was so great, the principle dissolved. And what do you know? The people have ended up remaining there. Um, according to Brendan Griffin, at least, he said that he didn't think there'd be any sort of bad blood in coalition terms, that this was a, a sort of a point of dispute. They said what they had to say, the decision is made and now they're going to move on. But he felt in the longer term, uh, in Killarney, you've got a, a town which is one sixth of its population now made up from uh, new arrivals. And yet at the same time, he didn't have resources in place to deal with that increased number. And that is a problem. Number one, how many people are there going to be? Number two, the resources there. And three, where are they going to stay? And that's something which is a problem replicated right across the country. And it's all really, at this stage, on the desk of Roger Gorman to deal with. Yeah, I was just going to pick up on that with you, Sirica, because uh, that is one of the criticisms of some of the agencies who work in this area. They want to see a bigger, broader cross-government amount of work on this whole area rather than the Department of Integration having to deal in the first instance with all the accommodation. Is Roderick O'Gorman having difficulty here? Well, it would seem that he is having difficulty. But as you say, they obviously need supports from, like they need to be coordinating this with, as you say, other departments, the Department of Education in particular. And it seems totally daft when you have a, such a number of children in school and everything. They were so well settled in the area and that 
the objection to it on the political scene was cross-party. You know, all the local representatives, I even heard uh, the Healy Rays being mentioned in some of the dispatches on radio that, you know, thanking them for their input as well. That It just seemed everybody, there was a unanimous opposition to the move. Therefore, you have to ask why were they thinking of doing this in the first place? And um, I think it was between, it, they were due to send them to Westport instead, mm. wasn't it? And then to make way for um, people who were in City West, which was overloaded. And the danger yeah. was that was going to have to close down. So you could just see the system clogging Creaking up. at the edges. But like you wonder then who was sitting there making decisions like that about taking so many people out of school and Work. trying to settle them into another place where... You know, one arm isn't speaking to the other about the logistics of the whole thing. And there were insinuations as well that it was um, driven in terms of finances that, you know, that there that there is more money available for the Ukrainians being um, changed around places compared to um, refugees from other parts of the country. You know, does that is that an issue? Is that causing difficulty? I don't know. I, I think as well, one of the interesting things is I was speaking to um uh, Tom McEnany, who's a kind of a campaigner in terms of helping um, people coming in to Ireland from Ukraine. And he's got a lot of contacts with um, charities internationally who are helping people coming into Ireland from Ukraine. And he made the point to me, since there have been um, those bombs in western Ukraine, Lviv and Kiev, that he's the information he's getting now is there's going to be an increase in terms of the numbers coming from Western Ukraine into countries like Ireland. So while the numbers in terms of arrivals were beginning to plateau at a slightly lower level, he thinks there will be an uptick uh, as a result of what's been happening on the ground. And that does, I mean, to a certain extent, um, bring it back to the politics of this. Is it the case that the open door policy being adopted by the government can continue if at the same time you don't have the resources, whether it's accommodation or any other resource to be able to deal with it. And I think at a political level, at some point, they're going to have to be able to articulate that to say, um, yes, we're continuing that principle and this is what we're going to do. If that other half of the argument isn't there, then I think it's going to be a problem because, for well, them. Because, they did warn this week that uh, City West, as you mentioned, is absolutely at capacity, if not over capacity. And we've seen problems here before where people had to sleep on the street. They, they simply don't have the space right now. And we've had people, um, you know, talk about sleeping in chairs and stuff like that. We've had the tents. I do know that... Um, when Roger O'Gorman was talking about this, he said that um, there were resources coming on stream. He talked about modular houses as well, that it's not as if nothing's happening. They are moving. It's just... But they've it been seems talking about modular housing for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. But that the numbers coming in are moving faster than the government, which takes you back to that political problem. I, th I think it's worth bearing in mind as well that we don't have a choice here in the sense that this is a European and EU-wide commitment that people who come in from Ukraine will be accommodated and we will uh, or the country will and the government will have to find places for those people. It's not like a policy where the government can switch it on and switch it off and say, well, we're going to pause That's true. It is arrivals. A isn't it, it is a directive. Mm -hmm. So but the, there's the, I, I agree with you on that. Like That's a, the absolute fact. But there has to be you can't just uh, express that without having some form of roadmap, which people will understand. It takes um, time, I suppose, to build the modular housing. It takes time to even the building the <coughs> the tents, which they did in places like Ormanstown. Even that, that all takes time. And when, as you said, that there are people, more and more people coming all the time, they're coming 
too fast for them to have places ready for them in time. But it does say, like, if you think of, I'm sorry, my last intervention on it, you know, if you think of a country like Poland, which was dealing with hundreds upon thousands, you know, you know, coming in at like at the rate of 140,000 a day, day after day, they were taking in millions of people. Mm. So maybe the, the flip side of the argument is if you look around Europe at what other countries are doing, um, you know, Ireland can't exactly sort of say, well, we've had enough now. So another political development this week, Sirica, uh, Fianna Fáil's Mark McSharry, well, he's going to be returning to the party. Some might have said it was inevitable. Uh, yeah. Is he going to be welcomed widely by everyone? What are your thoughts well, on it? I'd say it depends on what faction of the party you belong to, really. If you belong to the, fla- the, the faction that, you know, thinks that a bit of troublemaking and a bit of, um, how would you say, straight shooting and saying what you think without worrying about the consequences, maybe in some cases, you know, just... Shaking things up a little bit, maybe uh, you'd be welcoming Mark McSorry back to the fold. And there obviously is a lot of sort of restlessness, I suppose, because there is this big question about what's going to happen at the end of the year. Will the transition between, you know, Tisha and Tanisha go smoothly or will there be ructions at that? And it depends on who you speak to in Fianna Fáil. You know, some of them are saying, oh, well... You know, we'll wait until after the Cardiff Fall dinner is on in November, I think. And then, you know, there'll be auctions after that. Then other people say, no, nothing is going to happen in terms of Michal Martin's leadership until maybe next summer. So it depends really on which faction you belong to, I think. I, I think there's a lot of unhappiness among some of the people in Fianna Fáil that there's this uh, continuing conversation about Michal Martin and his leadership at a time when they've delivered, in their eyes, a budget which has successfully addressed a lot of the issues in terms of uh, cost of living, uh, throwing an awful lot of money at the issues in relation to energy bills, 11 billion overall in terms of new spending. And they're focusing on their internal issues and also some of them focusing on the um, smaller issue of the concrete block levy. Some of them felt that they should be out there selling the good work that they did in the budget, as opposed to be focusing on the issues within the party. And Paul, what has changed for Mark McSherry? Because I want to give you a quote from his resignation letter. He said, all Fianna Fáil party positioning and policy are being determined in a fashion consistent with an undemocratic totalitarian regime rather than that of a democratic socialist Republican party. So yeah. he's going to go back now. Well, this is it. I mean, when he, when he left, he didn't just slam the door, he took the door with him. Yes, he's um, not a shine retiring no, politician, Mark. Um, but you also have to remember is that Mark McSherry didn't resign from Fianna Fáil. He walked out of the parliamentary party, but he didn't resign from Fianna Fáil. Hence, he was back at the Ardesh, saying that his return was inevitable. Um, he hasn't spoken yet, saying he's awaiting to hear officially from the party. So one of the first questions when he does return um, to the parliamentary party, which now is inevitable, it's going to happen next week, um, is, well, what's changed? Um, and I don't know and can't speak for um, uh, Mark McSherry, but some people who sort of are supporters of him or close to him are saying that they feel that the manner in which he's being brought back into the parliamentary party, there's a few additional hoops um, compared with other people in the same uh, position. Are you suggesting Michal Martin doesn't want him to come back? Um, no, I'm suggesting that maybe he wanted to have a good chat with him before he did come back. But the truth is he can't stop him. And um, once uh, he is back, he's back. And uh, as you say, he's someone who um, speaks his mind. It'll be fascinating to see um, because uh, I think um, Soroka is absolutely right. It all drills down into December and the changeover point and the pressure comes back on at that point, whether it's immediate or whether it's a number of months. How long is Michal Martin going to remain as Fianna Fáil leader? 
Is he going to be going into the next general election or not? Those types of questions which are impossible for a party leader to answer publicly because the second you say it, it's the Alex Ferguson rule. Once you say mm. it, you lose all of your power anyway. Sarka, we saw something interesting this morning. We're seeing a bit more of this where some Fianna Fáil uh, TDs and senators were out on the plinth talking about a survey they had done about on public transport. But it's really saying something for some members of the government party to kind of come out with their own policies when they're already in government. Yeah, but, you know, that's been kind of a, a strange feature of this government because they did this a couple of months ago as well in relation to... Um, I think a domestic violence issue it was at the time. But they're not the only party to be doing this. Fine Gael have done this a number of times as well. You know, they've come out onto the plinth about um, different issues. And initially, you know, I remember being out there in the plinth and asking, saying to them, well, you know, you guys are in government. You, do you feel that you can't speak to your party colleagues or who are ministers and so on? And they were kind of saying, well, no, but we feel it's important for sort of the identity of the party yes. that we do this work on the sidelines and feed into the work of the government and I think it's just a matter for them to be able to remind us that they're there and to try and sort of carve out a sense of identity for themselves apart from the government parties. I mean, it's um, the nightmare being a backbencher because mm-hmm. you're cannon fodder, you're just supposed to sort of walk in, vote the right mm-hmm. way and then stay quiet. But particularly Fianna Fáil Dublin TDs are really concerned about them sort of being lost in the fog and therefore it's no surprise that they want to try and define themselves and the party by extension, but certainly themselves. So to see Jim O'Callaghan and Paul McAuliffe and uh, Cormac Devlin all standing there, that's where it's coming from. So I don't think it's necessarily signalling that it's a problem, the coalition, but it's maybe the couple of steps back where yeah. you're positioning yourself so that people go, oh yeah, I remember him or her. They said yeah. something that was relevant to me. And I think on the issue of safety on public transport, that is a live issue. So, David, I know you want to talk about money. You always do. (laughs) Funny that. The finance bill next week. But we are expecting some changes, certainly on the concrete levy. And Leo Bradford's astonished that today, talking about working on something on the renter's tax credit. Yeah, so there are a couple of things here. Um, Obviously, the government's under an awful lot of pressure in terms of doing something in relation to student accommodation. It's a big story today. Um, Many of the students downed their notebooks, pens and laptops went out into the squares of the various colleges and universities to protest at the fact that so many of them are couch surfing um, because the difficulties with accommodation, many of them have had to pull out of courses. So the issue that was raised this morning in the Doyle was the potential of the government widening the renter's tax credit to include the parents of students to give a little bit more help there. The other interesting thing is that clearly Fine Gael is slightly shifting its position in terms of its opposition to a, a temporary ban on evictions today. Leo Vradker was saying he didn't have a, an ideological problem with it, but he was saying if we do introduce a temporary ban on evictions, we have to be mindful of the downsides, which is it could be storing up problems when the ban ends. And the other issue is as well that it could encourage more landlords to get out of the market. And that's something that's been a trend uh, in the rental market and has caused more problems. So it'll be interesting to see if they do introduce that ban. And then, of course, um, the concrete levy, there's been a lot of opposition to that, both outside government and within government. Having said that, um, initially Sinn Féin was in favour of it. It was in favour of levying the building industry. Uh, But the problem with introducing the levy on on, uh, concrete blocks is it's happening at a time of huge construction price inflation. So all of those 
issues um, make it quite difficult for the government. So it'll be interesting to see if they um, introduce some nuances in relation to that measure. And on the concrete levy, Paul, uh, at the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party meeting last night, apparently there was some criticism of the Housing Minister, Dara O'Brien. Wouldn't be a surprise. <laughs> this has been an issue before. Um, and so you just get the same sense of it that... Th- They all know that housing is a crucial issue. They all feel it in their constituency. They read the media and they're getting canned um, and they feel that they have to sort of do something. And that, to a certain extent, means pushing the minister to deliver on the targets, which if you listen to any debate on housing, the opposition parties are saying, you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. So it it is a problem. And I thought it was interesting to see Rory Hearn's book, um, Gaffs is the number one seller Mm -hmm. in in our local bookstore. And um, you just have that sense that it is the issue by which people are going to decide the coalition government knows that if they manage to go the full five years, that'll be the um, probably one of the defining issues for them. And so even though we're maybe two years away um, from a two and a half away from general election, yeah. the locals and the Europeans aren't that far away. And we're heading into sort of election territory pretty soon. No surprise. Well, so. I, I, I thought that was interesting as well, coming out of the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party, that they were saying that they're going to be feeding their ideas and their suggestions about the whole housing issue into the minister to try and make some progress on this. So that, that was very pointed, I thought. Yeah. But the other interesting little thing that I heard this week about... Um, Told you. But about the, the concrete blocks issue, isn't the finance bill is due to be... Um, Goes to cabinet on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, so it's due to be before the house. But the um, uh, the finance minister is away. Pascal Dunn who has apparently been away in the US and was. He's on the same Eurogroup president duties. Yes, yeah, with, yeah, the yeah, G7. Yeah, yeah. with the uh, yeah with the G seven and so, Christine uh, Lagarde etc. Given that they're all expecting, well, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael backbenchers in particular, you know, talking about how this issue with the concrete tax is going to be resolved in the finance bill and how is he going to resolve it and how, where has he had the time to do all that when he's been so busy abroad? He's a very talented man. <laughs> I mean, it was interesting just to see that we had sort of the Fianna Fáil um, TDs talking about the, we heard after one meeting, one or two of them were saying that the concrete block levy was dead and then you talk to other people in the party and they were going, uh, no. Mm. Then in the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party meeting last night, Leo Varadkar saying this is a principle and it's going to happen. So there's, once again, you can just see yeah, this tension inside. I mean, there, the is, this, there is a principle that basically... Project Gorman had a principle too and it got dissolved, <laughs> so who knows? Yeah. But, uh, but there, there is a principle that where there has been a problem in an industry that the industry more broadly pays. We've seen yes. it in insurance, we've seen yes. it and we're following still the collapse. For we're PMPA still paying for and Quinn and everything. Yeah, in relation to Quinn Insurance. The difficulty is that it's at a time of problems with the pricing of building products. And the other difficulty with with this is that um, effectively you're taxing people who aren't culpable um, because these uh, levies are being passed on to the consumers. So there's, there's quite a lot of problems with this at the same time. Even if they had a, like a, a principle, you know, whether you've got an insurance fund where if you are hit by a driver who's uninsured, the individual is supported. That's right. Is there not some form of levy therefore coming into construction given that nearly everything was built in the 1990s and 2000s seems to have some form of structural yeah. problem that there's an onus on these massive companies that if you're coming to do business in Ireland, well, you have to cough up from here on so that we have got a, a war chest to be able to deal with something going well. If there are difficulties within the construction industry which are prohibiting some housing projects going ahead and you add to the price of construction, surely you're actually 
defeating the purpose of some of your housing policy. Yeah. Discuss. <laughs> <laughs> That's the next podcast. Uh, David, just on the economy as well, uh, we heard today that the big pharmacy company Novartis is cutting 400 jobs. There's also reports this week that globally that Intel is looking at cutting back a lot. And we know that Intel is a huge contributor to the Irish economy. Are we beginning to face those headwinds that could hit Ireland because we depend so much on these big multinationals? Yeah, well, I think at some point, I guess, um, the the wind was going to start blowing the other direction. And there are a few signs that that was going to happen, one of them being interest rates and the way things were changing, particularly across the international environment. And when we think about those companies, they're going to be huge sellers abroad. There's talk about recession in other countries. All of that is going to feed in. And, you know, there are many big projects from large multinationals which have been paused. So I think that inevitably we would see a change. The real question is, would Ireland go into a, 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 would the economy stop growing? And so far, the indications are that the economy isn't going to stop growing, but the level of growth is going to be really muted. Now, having said all of that, when you talk about those big names, the big names pay big taxes. And one of the reasons that the government was able to um, introduce a budget of 11 billion euro of new spending and um, not run into huge problems with their own public finances is that a wall of money fell into their laps in terms of corporation tax. And uh, those companies that you mentioned are the big payers. So the government would need to be very mindful of that, particularly when they're framing the next budget and making big political promises about spending money. Yes, and the Public Expenditure Minister, Paul uh, Michael McGrath, earlier this week when he was asked about more interventions next year, he very much emphasised that the government is going to keep it under review, but he said we have the surplus, we have the capacity here to do it. So they are very much relying on the fact that they have their, their budget in surplus right now. Yeah, and I think you know, all they have to do is, is, is to be careful um, because if there is a demand to spend and the demand is clearly there, um, <clears throat> you've only got one shot of it. You spend all your billions and then the economic wind changes, then you head into recession and suddenly you're into cuts and no one wants to do the cuts. So it seems to be that the, the path they've chosen is to give a substantial amount, 11 billion, but... To, as um, Leo Varadkar keeps talking about, uh, having something in the tank in case things go wrong. Um, I know a lot of us are looking over at what's happening in the United Kingdom. We're looking at the financial turmoil that's happening there. But you it's know, like they're going to do a U-turn, are they? They're talking about reversing several. some of the tax cuts. Yeah. <laughs> They've done a few. Yeah, yeah, more. Yeah, but but more I shouldn't be laughing at our, our British friends in, in difficulty because um, it wouldn't take much for substantial problems to be happening here Sir, and then the whole economic yeah. narrative changes. Well, you're right there when you look at what's happening over there and in particular how their interest rates are rising and rising rapidly and then to hear that, you know, Liz Truss is maybe in trouble again, uh, you know, that their soundings about her leadership and so on, it's... <laughs> It just beggars belief. You look at what's happening over here and you think, well, thank God that things are relatively stable here in comparison to what's happening in the UK. But we still do. We are, you, you'd say, David, I mean, it's still looking at another 1.5% uh, increase on interest rates in the ECB over the next six months. Yeah, potentially. I mean, there's two kind of interest rates we need to watch out for. The first one, obviously, being is how much people pay when they borrow money here in terms of domestically, in terms of mortgages. And then the second thing we need to watch out for is how much is the Irish government being charged to borrow money. So we're being charged something around two and a half percent. In Britain, 
it's uh, for 30-year bonds, it's more than 4.5% and it tipped towards 5 during the week. Now, generally, there's a rule of thumb that once you go above 7%, you don't you're really... You're toast. You're toast. You don't really borrow money at that rate because it's just it just costs you too much money and you spend too much of the funds you collect by way of taxes simply paying the interest on your bills. But the British government are now in a situation where they're paying more to borrow money than Greece is. Now, for a G7 country, that is really bad mm -hmm. news. And also, their, their public debt isn't as high as many of the other G7 countries. So not, they've not only have they got the pain of a very high interest rate, they, their public finances on the surface are not so bad. What's really happened here is that the people running the government in Britain have managed to convince the markets that they're incompetent and they don't know how to run a country. And as a result, they're now paying a premium to borrow money because yeah. the markets think these people are clowns that don't know what they're doing. When their anchor policy is to borrow loads of money. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's a fatal flaw, all right. Well, that's it from the Your Politics podcast with thanks to my guests, Paul Cunningham, Sarah Kanirida and David Murphy. We'll be back again next week. 